Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Then he, that is Jesus, he said, and he tells this parable. A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And just a little commentary on that. Basically, what the younger son was saying to his father was, I want what would come to me when you die. I want my inheritance. Highly, highly inappropriate in any society, especially Jewish society. Basically, what the younger son was saying to his father, I wish you were dead. And I want what would come to me when you die, and I want it now. And so he divided to him, to them, his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered together and journeyed into a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And here I am, perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now if the parable stopped right there, wouldn't it be a joyous parable? <laughs> But it continues. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And, be, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he, the older son, was angry, would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, These many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never give me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, the father said to his older son, Son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right 
that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Now this probably is the most famous of all of the parables of Jesus. How do you define a parable? Well, one way you can define a parable is like this. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's a good way to describe it. Jesus would take a story that, and tell a story that would have elements in it that were familiar to everybody who was listening. He would tell that story, and of course, of course the point was, as he told the story, there was a spiritual meaning behind it. So in understanding the story, you can understand the spiritual truth that Jesus was communicating. Now there's a lot of ways you can look at the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to look at it this morning in this way. This parable is built around three characters. The younger son, the older son, and the father. But it's also important to understand the setting of this parable. Why did Jesus tell us or communicate this parable? Well, in Luke chapter 15 and and verse 1, the statement is made that tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus. Uh, Jesus was teaching and tax collectors and sinners were coming to him and listening to him. And instead of Jesus running them away, he was receiving them and talking with them and teaching them and reaching out to them. Now, rabbis of that day wouldn't have anything to do with tax collectors and sinners. First of all, who were the tax collectors? These were Jewish people. Tax collectors were Jewish people hired by the Romans to collect taxes from their fellow countrymen for the Romans. They were considered traitors, these tax collectors. These were Jewish people hired by the Romans to collect taxes for the Romans from their fellow countrymen. So tax collectors were looked upon as traitors and they were hated. Rabbis taught that a dead dog would go to heaven before a tax collector. And so they were hated by the Jewish society, by by most of the people in the Jewish society, especially by the religious establishment of the Jewish society. But who were sinners? Were sinners were people who just didn't participate at all in the religious life of the nation of Israel. They didn't go to synagogue, they didn't go to the temple, they didn't present sacrifices, they lived in open debauchery, open wickedness, open immorality. You wouldn't catch them in the temple and on any occasion, at any time, they wouldn't go to the synagogue. They just, you know, had no limits in how they lived. They, they were not church folk. They were, they were folk who were just living any way they wanted to live. And so the Pharisees identified them as tax collectors and sinners. To put it in our language, these are the scum of the earth, according to the Pharisees and according to the scribes. And not worth even looking at, not worth even talking to. And yet here is Jesus, this rabbi from Galilee, And he's teaching, and these people are coming, and Jesus is talking to them. And Jesus is being friendly to them. And Jesus is not running them away. Get thee away from me, thy sinners. No. 
Jesus is sitting, they're gathering together. Jesus is talking with them as if they're human beings. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders took umbrage with this. How dare this so-called rabbi from Galilee treat these people as if they're humans? Doesn't he know that they're tax collectors and sinners? And so they began to criticize Jesus openly. I can hear them now. Rabbi, send these people away. Don't you know who they are? Send these people away. And they began to accost the disciples. What is your master doing? How dare he talk to these people? And so these Pharisees, these religious leaders, begin to attack Jesus and his disciples for having anything to do with people like tax collectors and sinners. And so in response to that, Jesus tells this story. So let's look at this story. First of all, let's talk about the younger son. Now in the parable, the younger son is a representative of the tax collectors and the sinners who were drawing near to Jesus to hear him. And, and Jesus was talking with them. And you know, our Lord had a sense of humor. He called James and John the sons of thunder. He gave them a nickname, the sons of thunder. Our Lord had a sense of humor. He wasn't a, you know, a, a dry dust bucket. Our Lord had a wonderful sense of humor. I can see him talking to these people and I can see him communicating with them and even perhaps being lighthearted with these people. And they're drawing near to Jesus. These open and obvious sinners were for some reason drawn to Jesus, who is the epitome of holiness. Amen. You would have thought that these open and obvious sinners would run away from Jesus, but there's something about Jesus that draws them to him. Something about his love, something about his demeanor, something about how he treated them like human beings. And so they're drawn to Jesus. Reminds me of old Zacchaeus, that tax collector in Jericho. The little Zacchaeus. We used to sing about him, remember? Climbed up into that tree. Why did Zacchaeus do that? Because he heard this phrase, Jesus loves tax collectors and sinners. And he wanted to see this rabbi who would love somebody like him. And so... These open and obvious sinners are drawn to Jesus. Now the younger son represents people who are guilty of the sins of the flesh. Open sinners. Obvious sinners. The Bible often speaks about people like this. 1 Peter 4.3 Peter said to, these, to the Christians that he's writing to, you know, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery. Isn't that a good word? Debauchery. <laughs> you know what it means? It means wickedness, just being wicked. Peter said, you've spent enough time living like the pagans do. You, you've done that. You're through with that old life, living in wickedness, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. 
There are people in our world today who live like that. Their lives are characterized by that kind of living. Titus 3.3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. There are people today, their lives are controlled by passions and pleasures. They don't have any limits. And they don't care what you think about them. They're going to live the way they want to live. If they want to party all day and party all night, they're going to do it. And they don't care what you think. Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, there's that word again, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Now, it's interesting that the word translated witchcraft is the word pharmakeia. Do you hear the word pharmacy in that word, pharmakeia? You know what people in that day who were accused of witchcraft would do? They would give their supposed followers a little, some drugs to make them start to hallucinate and make them start to see things and feel things and experience things. And then those who practice witchcraft would say to those people, ha ha, see that's the God that I represent. He's working in your life. They were drug pushers. People today using drugs, my word, at the drug use today. By the way, the number one abused drug in America is alcohol. And alcohol kills more people by far than any other illicit drug in America. Paul continued, living in hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, Paul said in that passage, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life is characterized by that kind of living, you're not a Christian, you're not saved, no matter what you say, and you're not going to heaven. That's what Paul said. So the younger son in this parable represents the tax collectors and the sinners. And in the parable, here's what the younger son does. He comes to his father, his wealthy father, and he said, Dad, I've had it. I'm tired of living around here. I'm tired of living in your house. I'm tired of, tired of trying to live the way you want me to live. I want right now what I would get if you died. I want it right now because I am leaving this place. And so the father goes ahead and divides up what he has, dishes out the inheritance to the younger son. And then Jesus said the younger son gathered it all up. Now, the younger son was not given money. He was given material possessions. He may have been given a little money, but he was given like land and you know, animals and that kind of thing. You know what he did? He sold it all. To gather up means he liquidated all that he was given. He liquidated it. He turned it into money. He put a knapsack over his, his shoulder, gathered up his money, and he went to the far country away from his daddy, had a bait of his daddy, 
How to bait him all those rules and regulations. His goody two-shoes daddy. And his older brother. <laughs> he had a bait of it. So he takes, he liquidates all that he has. He goes into the far country and then Jesus says he begins to party. <laughs> you know, when you got a lot of money, you get a lot of friends in that kind of circle. He had plenty of friends who would gladly help him to spend all of his money in that debauchery living, that prodigal living. As long as he had money, he had a party. But the money ran out. The money ran out, and so did his friends. Famine hit the land, he has nothing. Has nothing. Begging for somebody to give him some kind of job. And finally a farmer said, well, you know, I need somebody to help me feed the pigs. Now remember, pigs in the Jewish society were unclean animals. The lowest place this guy could go as a Jewish person would be to feed pigs. So he goes out and he starts to feed pigs. The guy said, I'll give you a dollar a day maybe to feed the pigs. And he's hungry and he's feeding the pigs these pods and he looks at them and he says, man, if this stuff wouldn't kill me, I'd eat it. I'm so hungry. And then Jesus said, it's a beautiful phrase. He came to himself. He looked around at where he was. He's in the pig pen. Man, he came to that far country so high and mighty, had everything he wanted, had all of these friends. He was the star of the show as long as he had the money. Now he's in the pig pen. And he looks around and he came to himself. And you know what he said? He said, I'm as stupid as a stick. I mean, my word, I miss my daddy, I miss my home, I've done them so long, I wonder if daddy would take me back. I just, I'm going to go home. He said, I'm going to go home. The servants that my daddy has, they live better than what I'm living, I'm in a stupid pig pen. He said, I'm going to go home, and I'm just going to tell daddy, daddy, look, I know I've done wrong, and I don't treat me as a son, I don't deserve it anymore. Just make me like one of your hired servants and I'll come home and I'll just be just like one of the hired servants you have. I want to come home. And so he goes home. Now when he left, it was all great pomp and circumstance. Ha! He was a big dog. He had money in his pocket. He marched out proudly. When he comes back, he's in tatters. He has nothing. He has nothing. And so that's the younger son. Now the older son in this parable represents the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Now while the younger son is guilty of the sins of the flesh, the outward sins, the obvious sins. Now listen, the older son represents the Pharisees and the scribes. These are people who are more guilty of the sins of the spirit. While the younger son's sins are more outward, the older son's sins are more inward. While the younger son was more guilty of sinful actions, the older son was more guilty of sinful attitudes. 
The older son represents respectable sinners, sophisticated sinners, elitist sinners, educated sinners, people of power sinners, even religious sinners like the Pharisees and the scribes, people who often are self-righteous, judgmental, hypocritical, people who look down on others with prideful contempt. Now, people like the younger son rarely come to church. You put it in a modern setting, people who live like the younger son would rarely come to church except for two occasions, weddings and funerals. <laughs> in my experience in the ministry, I've seen people who would not darken the door of a church for any other reason will be dragged to a church to attend a wedding or a funeral. So people, while people like the younger son, they would, they would just soon you know, go in orbit than go to a church. People like the older son can be found in church every Sunday. They are respectable. They are religious and they are lost. See, here's the point of the story. The older son was just as wicked as the younger son, but just in a different way. Here the Pharisees judging these tax collectors and sinners, and the truth was the Pharisees were just as sinful as the tax collectors and sinners, but just in a different way. One of the parable is you're both lost. You got one in the pig pen, you got one in the temple, and you're both lost. You got one who's an open, obvious sinner, sinner of the flesh, and you got one who is a sophisticated religious sinner, and the point of the parable is you're both lost. And the older son is just as wicked as the younger son, but he's just wicked in a different way. The Bible often speaks of sinners like the older son. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What good does it do to come near to the Lord with your mouth and your lips when your heart is far from him? 2 Peter, or 2 Timothy rather, 3, 5 speaks of those who have an outward form, uh, an appearance of godliness, but Paul says in that passage, they don't know God. They look good, they look religious, they look right, but they don't know God. Titus 1, 16 speaks of those who claim to know God, but their actions deny him. In Matthew 23, 28, Jesus spoke of, spoke of those who appear righteous, but on the inside, they're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And so what you have in this parable is this story. Here's the Pharisees, and here's the, the scribes attacking the tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus tells a story in which he says, both of y'all are lost. The older son, just as wicked as the younger son, but he's wicked in a different way. Sinners come in all sizes and all packages. 
You got some folks out there living in the gutter today. They're open and obvious sinners. Everybody knows they're sinners. Even they know they're sinners. <laughs> and even though they'll make fun of themselves as being sinners. You got people living in the gutter today, and then you got people sitting in churches today who are just as lost as the people out of the gutter, but those people in the church will judge those people who are sitting in the gutter, and they're just as lost as those people. They're sinners just in a different way. And Jesus says, you're both lost. But here's the thing. The guy in the gutter knows he's lost. He knows he's not right with God. He knows his days are numbered, unless he gets right with the Lord. But the people who are sitting in the pews who are lost, they're lost and they don't know it. They think they're right. They think they're saved. They've got a little churchanity. They've done some religious stuff. Maybe, you know, they're really involved in church life. But they don't know Jesus. And they're just as lost as the guy in the gutter. The point of the parable is this. The older son was just as wicked as the younger son, but in a different way. So, let's look at the Father. Now, obviously, you can guess it, and you can understand it. The Father in this parable represents God. This parable pictures the love of God for all sinners. Sinners come in different ways, in different packages. Sinners are different kinds of people. Some are religious but lost. Some are sophisticated but lost. Some are educated but lost. Some are powerful but lost. And some are lost and lost and lost. And they're in the gutter and giving free reign to every passion and pleasure. They're all lost. And guess what? God loves them all. God loves them all. This parable pictures God's love for all sinners and his eagerness. Jesus pictures the eagerness of God to forgive and save the lost. God is eager to save sinners like the younger son. God is eager to save those people in the gutter. God is eager to save those people in the back alley. God wants to save them. The younger son came to himself and so he makes the trek home. And the father sitting on the porch one day, he sat out there a lot. He longed for his younger son to come home and he would look over the horizon, maybe one day hoping to see the younger son come home. He's sitting out on the porch and all of a sudden there's a dot on the horizon and it's a man who's walking and the father stands up and he waits and he waits and he says to himself, could it be, could it be, could it be? And finally, he's able to see and understand his younger son is coming home. <laughs> and so you know what the father did? He starts running to the younger son, stops in front of the younger son, and you know what he says? Get out of here. You took all of my stuff. You went out, Chandler. You lived the way you wanted to live. You robbed from me. You scammed me. You, you've got what you deserve. Now get out of here. That's what the father said, right? 
No. That's what you would have said. That's what I would have said. Get away from me. How dare you come home? No. You know what the father did? He saw it was his son and he went running. Now that's significant. Older men in that society didn't run, not because they couldn't physically do it, but it, it was not respectable for an older man, especially an older man of means to run. This father, the father, began to run toward his, his son. And when he got near to his son, his son began to rehearse that story that he was going to say to his father, I've sinned in your sight. I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father didn't even listen. He fell on his son. He hugged his neck. And he began to jump around with his son in his arms. My son has come home. And he began to celebrate. And everybody around the house, they saw what was happening. They ran out. The, the, the father turns to him and says, get the fatty calf ready. Let's get the T-bones on the grill. Let's start to have a party. Bring the best robe. Put it on my son. Put, put shoes on his feet. Put a ring on his finger. I restore him to my sonship. For this my son was lost. Now he's found. He was blind. Now he can see. He was dead. Now he's alive. Isn't that beautiful? That's our Father. That's our Heavenly Father. That's the picture of how the Heavenly Father wants to save, longs to save those who were lost. He wants to save those people in the gutter. He wants to save those people in the back alley. He sent His Son into the world to die for them. And say, so here's the great thing about God. If you take one step toward God in repentance and faith, He'll come running with mercy and grace to save your soul. Amen. That's our God. That is our God. 1 Peter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. We can go to the gutter. We can go to the back alley. We can go to the obvious sinner. And we can tell them, yeah, you're rotten. You've done some terrible things. You've done some awful things. Hooked on drugs. You slept around. You've committed this sin and that sin. But even though you've done all of that stuff, the God who made you is the God who loves you and He cares for you and He gave His Son to die on the cross for you. His grace is greater than your sin. And if you will repent, if you will come to yourself, and you will come to Him in repentance and faith. He'll come running with mercy, goodness, love, and forgiveness. And He will forgive you. He will save your soul. And He will change your life. That's good news, isn't it? I love to hear those stories of those folks who had wicked ways and terrible ways and a terrible debauchery kind of lifestyle who've come to Jesus and They'll stand up with tears in their eyes telling you how they used to live. 
but telling you how they came to know Christ as their Savior and Lord and God came running. There's a song, good old Christian song. The day God ran, God came running to save their soul. Now, if the story had stopped there, it would be just beautiful, right? And it is beautiful. But then you got the older son. I got two older brothers. I love to compare them to the older sons in this story. Me being the prodigal. I play around with them. But the older son, he's out working in the field. Oh, grumpy thing. Oh, grumpy thing. So he comes home. He hears all the party going on. Draws near to the house and says, what's going on? Somebody told him what's happened, and he begins to pitch a fit. He begins to pitch a fit. Throw stuff in the air, kick around. The father hears about it, comes out and says, son, what's wrong? What do you mean what's wrong? Never thrown a party for me. Don't care anything about me. You call yourself a good father. This younger son of yours didn't call him his brother. He said, this son of yours comes home from giving himself to all kind of women and taking drugs and drinking and doing all that kind of living and you throw him a party and you've never given me even a goat and you've killed a fatted calf for this dude. Mad. Upset. No joy whatsoever for a lost one that's come home. That's the Pharisees and the scribes. People like Zacchaeus could get saved. They wouldn't celebrate. They'd criticize Jesus. <laughs> they wouldn't celebrate. You know, the Bible says that when a person comes to God, there's a celebration in heaven. There's joy in heaven over more one sinner than over the 99 that are left. When, when one comes to the Lord, there's joy in heaven. If there's joy in heaven, there ought to be joy in God's house. Amen? And there ought to be joy in our heart. He pitches a fit. Couldn't convince his older son to come in and celebrate. That's just like the Pharisees and the scribes. Thought they were so close to God. When in reality, the older son was further away from his father than the younger son ever was. Point of this parable is the older son was just as wicked as the younger son but he was wicked in a different way. So quickly, two important lessons from this parable. Sin has its payday. Sin has its payday. The Bible does not deny that there's pleasure in sin. Hebrews 11.25 says that there is pleasure in sin. There are people out there today who wouldn't come to church for anything in the world and they're having the greatest time of their life. They're partying, they're doing what they want to do. They're having a good time. They have joy in their heart and they're having a good time living in sin, having nothing to do with those people at the church and nothing to do with God. The Bible never denies that there's pleasure in sin, but the Bible does say that the pleasure of sin lasts only for a season. party eventually comes to an end. As the prodigal son discovered, the pleasure of sinful living comes to an end. 
and it leaves in its aftermath emptiness, waste, brokenness, bondage, guilt, and shame. You see, we live in God's universe. We didn't create this universe. We live in God's universe. We live in God's creation. We are a part of God's creation. God has embedded in his, his creation certain moral and spiritual laws. If you break those moral and spiritual laws, you're going to pay a price. It's like the law of gravity. I didn't create the law of gravity. God did. You can climb to the top of this church building. And you can say, I don't believe in no law of gravity. I don't believe in any of that kind of stuff. I'm going to show y'all. You can step off the side of this building. What's going to happen? You're going to believe in the law of gravity. Because you're going down. People can say, I don't believe in God. I'm not going to live the way God wants me to live. Who is he to tell me how to live? It's my life. It's my world. It's my thing. I'm going to live the way I want to live. Well, you can live the way you want to live. You're free to do that, but you're not free to choose the consequences of your choices. If you break the laws of God, if you defy the moral and spiritual laws of God long enough, you're going to pay a price. And the prodigal son paid a price. He defied God and eventually wound up in the pig pen. That's what happens to people. Ask the drug addict. Ask the alcoholic. Ask the adulterer. Ask the criminal in prison if sin has its consequences. Sin has its payday. A lot of people need to come to their selves and say, I'm stupid. You know what? I hate to quote a soap opera, but we all have one life to live. <laughs> this is it. This is the only life I'll ever have. Why would I want to waste my life living in ways that defy my creator and living in ways that I'm going to ruin the one chance I have to live life in this world? Why would I want to do that? Why wouldn't I want to live a life that honors God and that will receive the blessings of God and the life that is the best life I can live as I obey the Lord and love him and live for him? Don't waste your life. But you know, people can waste their life a long time, but one day in the house of the Lord equals a hundred years living in sin. God is in the restoration business. There's some people take old broken down stuff and they'll restore them. And they're better than what they were before they, when they were new. God can take that. He can take an old broken down life, a beat up life, an abused life, and restore that life better than it ever was. That's what God can do. And he's done it, and he's done it, and he's done it, and he's done it, and he continues to do it today. So sin has its payday. Second of all, the second lesson is that God is willing and anxious to forgive repentant sinners. I love it. He came running. He came running. You know, there were those old long robes, you know? So you know what he did? He picked up that robe and showed his bare legs. Now, 
Older men, men of respectability, men of substance in that society would never show their bare legs. And some of y'all men, y'all don't need to show y'all's either, even to today. But he picked up that robe and he went running. <laughs> he went running. And he fell on his neck. And he forgave him. And the younger son was saved and restored and redeemed. And you know what? God forgave it. And then he took all of that sin and he cast it as far as east as from the west. Isn't that good? That's what God does. And then that old stinking older brother, he never did repent. It's hard to save somebody who didn't realize they're lost. To be saved, you have to first of all understand you're lost. And he never did repent. I close with this. By the way, there's another son in this story. The older son, the younger son, but there's another son in this story. Did you see him? Did you see the other son in the story? The other son in the story is the son who's telling this story. Jesus, the Son of God. And he's the son who died on the cross to make salvation possible for all sinners like the prodigal son and the older son. And so there's another son in this story. He's the one who's telling the story and he's the one who died on the cross to make salvation possible for all people. Somebody might say, well, I don't understand how Jesus died for me. You keep saying Jesus died for me. I don't understand how that happened. I don't understand how it happened either. I don't understand how Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, went to a cross and died for my sins today. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But my friend, we're not saved by understanding. We're saved by faith. Amen. And the Word of God says that when Jesus died 2,000 years ago on the cross, He died for me. He took my sins upon Himself. He stood in my stead. He accepted the wrath of God for my sin and my disobedience upon Himself. He who knew no sin became sin for me. He died for me. I don't understand it, but I believe it with all of my heart. We're not saved by our understanding. We're saved by faith. We're saved by believing the testimony and the truth of the Word of God. That when Jesus died on the cross, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Now, I cannot convince anybody to become a Christian. I wish I could. I wish I could convince people to become a Christian. I don't have that in my ability. I can't do that. You can't convince somebody else to become a Christian. You can give your testimony, you can give your witness, and well, we should, but I can't convince somebody to become a Christian. Only the Holy Spirit can. Now, the Holy Spirit can use your witness and your testimony, 
to speak to somebody's heart, but only the Holy Spirit can convince a person to come to Christ. So that tug in your heart, that drawing to Christ you feel, that conviction of your sin and your need of Jesus, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to come to Christ. And you know what? You take one step in repentance and faith and God will come running with His mercy and grace. That's our God. 